God's word among us. The epistle reading today is from Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption of God's own people, to the praise of his glory. I have heard of your faith in Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that, with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which God has called you, what are the riches of God's glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power for us who believe according to the working of God's great power. God put this power to work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And God has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church. This is the word of the Lord. Throughout the month of July, we have been focusing on our Methodist heritage, our, our roots for who we are as, as Methodist people, uh, and the branches of who we have become as the United Methodist Church. We, of course, talked about that the foundation of the revival movement that became Methodism was all about the grace of God, that God's grace is plentiful and available to everyone. Everyone, before we're aware of it, prevenient grace, as we become aware of it, justifying grace and sanctifying grace, as we live our lives as Christians, that all of it is just... uh, I was going to say a swimming pool, but it's more an ocean of grace. Of grace. <laughs> I won't move. Uh, and so uh, our, our, our whole Methodist movement has been a movement of grace. We talked about how our faith formation then as Methodists um, became... Uh, principled on this idea of works of mercy and works of piety. Works of piety being those acts of individual devotion and prayer and Bible study, as well as public prayer and devotion and Bible study, worship, attending to the sacraments, works of piety and works of mercy, that we are people who believe that the gospel must be made known in the world through acts of of justice and mercy and compassion in the world, and that we can't ever separate those two, that we can't ever say that it's just about my salvation over here on the piety end and not about the good of my neighbor, that indeed to love God is to love our neighbor. And so we, 
We as, as Methodist people always, always bridge those things. And so we practice this living out our faith internally and externally out in the world. Now, our Methodist movement, I shared a few weeks ago how our, our, our movement was always a part of the Church of England in its early days, in Wesley's days. Wesley lived and died a priest in the Church of England, never ever intending to start a new denomination, but rather it was a revival movement. It was a movement of reclaiming re- religious zeal and fervor in a, in a church that had grown stale. And so Wesley uh, started this revival movement. And when that movement came to the United States, it grew and flourished. We had in this country, if you study the religious history of our country, you will know that we have a first and second great awakening in this country where it was just a time of great religious renewal and fervor. And and the Methodist movement benefited from that. Now, after the, um, the American Revolution... The church in the United States split off, and we became the Methodist Episcopal Church in the United States. So we were split off. We, we retained that Episcopal word. Episcopal refers to a church that has a bishop. So we had our own bishops, uh, and we became the Methodist Episcopal Church. Now, as the Methodist Episcopal Church, we grew and we flourished and we founded congregations just in every nook and cranny of this country. If you are ever out and about in uh, lots of parts of the country, you will just see a Methodist church on pretty much every other corner. Uh, It used to be, and I don't know if it's still the case, it used to be that there were more Methodist churches in this country than there were U.S. post offices, Um, which is a crazy idea, Um, because we, we had this idea that churches should be neighborhood churches, that you should be able to walk to your church. And so for a long time, we were founding churches every two miles. I mean, that's how fast and crazy the church was growing. And so, um, so this movement took over, and we founded not only congregations, we founded colleges and universities. We were never a church that was into parochial schools, elementary schools or high schools, because we believed and supported firmly the idea of public education, because we believe that was the best way to make sure that everybody got an education. So you'll never see a United Methodist Church that has its own private school. Doesn't happen. You, you might see that in other traditions, but if you ever wondered why it is, that's why. Because we have always supported public education as a way to educate the masses. So, so we're growing and we're growing, and of course we're not just growing in this country, we're sending missionaries abroad to Africa and Asia and South America, everywhere. We have grown churches everywhere. Now, in the middle of all this growth, the U.S. church came to a great crisis, and the crisis was over slavery. And the church split over slavery, uh, becoming the Methodist Episcopal Church North and the Methodist Episcopal Church South. And the first community that I served as a Methodist pastor was in Ventura. And in Ventura, we had First Methodist Church, which was where I was appointed. And just about two, three blocks down was another little church that said Methodist Episcopal Church South on its, uh, what do you call those things? Um, the corner 
stone, the cornerstone. Um, <laughs> so it, it was a Methodist Episcopal Church South back in the day. It was, it's now a wedding chapel. Uh, it no longer operates as the United Methodist Church. But so in a lot of communities, you will see if you go to uh, an older Methodist church, the cornerstone will say Methodist Episcopal Church, maybe South or North, but probably just Methodist Episcopal Church. Um, but we rejoined the North and South Church in 1939, took us a while, um, and then came together once again in uh, 1968. We united, united with the Evangelical United Brethren Church and the Methodist Episcopal Church, or Methodist Church at that time, and became the United Methodist Church. So over the years, uh, you've probably heard of the Free Methodist Church. Certainly you've heard of the AME Church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the church has split and divided very often along uh, public social issues, issues like slavery, where those in the north saw there's just no way that we as a body of Christ can affirm that, and those in the south had built an economy on, on slavery, and so the church split. Uh, the church was very active in the temperance movement. Many a Methodists were teetotalers. <laughs> um, we were very much against that. We've also been on the front uh, forefront of issues more recently in our country of civil rights, women's rights, always uh, supporting those issues. We have always been a, what we call a big umbrella church. Lots of people fall under the umbrella of the United Methodist Church. Lots of Republicans, lots of Democrats, lots of people from different parts of the country, different political opinions, different races, different, you name it, we got it here in the United Methodist Church. In fact, there was a time uh, about three years ago where uh, three, not three years ago, it was like can't remember how many years ago it was, but uh, of the four people running for president, vice president on both party tickets, three of them were United Methodists. Couldn't be more different from each other, but all in the United Methodist tradition. That's okay. We're a church that believes in holding the center, that tries very hard to hold the center, but always wants to put our faith out first. What are those issues that God is calling us to respond to as a church? And so, so we, we wrestle with that. We remember last week we talked about the three simple rules. Can anybody remember the first rule? Do no harm. The second? Do good. And the third? Stay in love with God. So the, these issues of do no harm, do good, stay in love with God have, have been sort of guiding principles. There's another quote that is often attributed to Wesley, uh, that is often also associated with the church. You might want to write this down. Wesley said, in essentials, in the essentials of the faith, unity. And in non-essentials of the faith, liberty. And in all things, charity. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. That is, as a church body, whether we are a local congregation, an annual conference, or a global church, we are going to have issues that are just bedrock issues of here we stand, we can stand no other, and we need to hold those as, as essentials. There are going to be issues where 
we can disagree on this, and you can believe this, and, and this person will believe that, and, and we will still love each other in the name of Jesus. And in, whether it is essentials or non-essentials, we're just going to practice charity with one another. Now, this is a high ideal. It's a high ideal, and it's hard to live by. And in our United Methodist tradition right now, you may be aware that there is a lot of talk of schism in the church. This is heartbreaking, heartbreaking work. And um, I'm going to share a little bit about this because you may be hearing about this. Certainly by next February, you'll be hearing about it a lot in the news but know that this is a conversation that has been going on in the denomination for years, but more specifically, very intensely in the last year or two. Uh, And the issue involves human sexuality. And the issue involves um, whether our gay and lesbian and bisexual and queer brothers and sisters will feel welcome and a part of the church And there are those in the church who believe that there is no way that we can be a scriptural church and allow for full inclusion of gay and lesbian persons. And there are those in the church that believe that there is no way that we can be a a church of grace and love and not include gay and lesbian persons fully in the body of Christ. You should know that as a pastor, and as a Methodist and as a Christian, I'm in this camp. I, I just don't see any, any way to not welcome fully our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters into the body of Christ. But the denomination is struggling with this mightily. There is much talk that we might split as a church. There is a commission that has been set up. It's called the Commission on the Way Forward. I can't explain all of it today because it is a long conversation, but you are welcome to Google it (laughs) and to read about all the different options. Right now, there are three plans on the table uh, that a general conference in 2019 in February will vote on and will decide what the position of the United Methodist Church will be and whether the United Methodist Church will remain as one body. I go back always to these three simple rules. Do no harm. Do good. Stay in love with God. And to the question of in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. On this issue, the church seems unclear. What is essential and what is non-essential? because I am a person who just so firmly believes in the grace and love of God. That's essential to me. And that that love and grace is open to everybody, absolutely essential to me. For others, they're going to come into a different position. And I can love and respect them in that position. The question is whether the church, the United Methodist Church, will stay together. Nobody knows that right now. What we do know is that we as a body of Christ here at Riviera, United Methodist Church, will continue to be the church. We, no matter what happens, will continue to love one another. We will continue to 
make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We will continue to be rooted in our Methodist and Wesleyan faith and foundation. We will continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. We will continue to be a family and community of faith for one another, and we will continue to share that work of love and grace out in the world. That part will stay certain, because that's the foundation, that's who we are. The, the basic unit of the United Methodist Church is the local church, and here we are to do the work of the church in the world. All of these things right now can seem sort of heady, and I'll tell you, uh, the big issue right now for the church, remember I, I, I talked about this expansion of the church, and right now, the, the reason that this is even an issue in the church and other mainline um, denominations in the United States, the Episcopal Church, the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, have all been able to come to a place of full inclusion much more easily than the United Methodist Church. And the reason for that is that we are a global church. Uh, between 40 and 50 percent of the delegates that come to our general conference and vote on these issues are from Africa, where issues of human sexuality have a totally different understanding. And so we come across as a denomination sounding very different than denominations that are only rooted in the United States. Uh, and so we're struggling with that. We're struggling with how to be a global church, how to understand contextual differences. Will the church look different in Africa than it does in the United States? Of course. Should the church in Africa determine what the church in the United States looks like? We sent missionaries to determine what the church in Africa will look like. It's an interesting issue when you start to understand our global context. But I'm praying for our church, and I hope that you will pray for our church too, because there is so much good in the church. This church and in every United Methodist congregation across this country and indeed around the world, in our colleges and our universities and our hospitals, in the work that we do through the United Methodist Committee on Relief, in all of our agencies around the world, there is great and good and wonderful things going on in the United Methodist Church, and I am proud to be a United Methodist. And we're struggling. We're struggling with a big conversation. And so I want to ask you to pray for the church. Pray that we would reflect the love and grace of Jesus Christ in the world. Pray that we would be faithful to God's grace and calling upon our lives. And pray that we might find a way for unity and reconciliation in the church. Let us pray. God, it's indeed a great gift that you have called us to be your church called us to love your people, call us to be the body of Christ in the world, and at times the body of Christ sadly fights against itself and struggles with legalism and grace and accountability and all of those things that pull us apart and wrench our hearts. But God, we lift up the church to you, giving thanks for all of the gifts of the church in our life the ways that we nurture and love one another, the ways that we teach and practice compassion and grace and mercy here at Riviera and around the world. Guide our denomination and guide each of us 
that we might be persons that share in your compassion, that do no harm, that do good in the world, that stay in love with God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.